0: You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jeffersontown Bible Church in Jeffersontown, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. All right, we are going to be, Lord willing, wrapping up uh, our class on witnessing as far as the slides are concerned. <clears throat> And I think we want to be on slide 174, Sir Frank, where it says, be praying. We'll get there in just a moment. We started uh, this emphasis as far as five keys for effective witnessing and and five keys for being an effective witness. Uh, The first we looked at last week was, the first key was to be praying, to be people of prayer, to the believers in prayer and of prayer, and in particular, uh, we looked at some specific uh, uh, focuses of prayer, and we looked at, that was it, that was right. Be praying for greater compassion. We talked about that and what compassion is. It is seeing or recognizing a need and then addressing it. Uh, Compassion isn't uh, this idea of just feeling somebody else's or generating what you think is a feeling of of sorrow or, or being somewhat grieved about somebody's unfortunate circumstances. That is not compassion. Compassion is recognizing a need and then addressing that need. The two must be there. <clears throat> and... Obviously, if you don't recognize a need, you're not going to respond with compassion. Uh, Someone who is compassionate readily sees a need or needs and then addresses that need because they're there and they have the opportunity to address that need. We need to pray for greater compassion for those who do not know Christ, that we will uh, have a greater recognition of the need that is around us. We all know that need is around us. Um, we don't have to be told that. We don't have to somehow have that uh, as new information. We know that. But compassion means that, that we recognize that need and we are then taking actions, appropriate actions, to address that need. <clears throat> so we need to pray for that. Pray for greater compassion uh, for ourselves and for one another. Uh, also be praying for a greater vision. That we see what God sees as it pertains to humanity, that we see humanity as God sees humanity. Uh, and, and it's amazing, as you read through the New Testament uh, the things that our Lord says in some situations about humanity. for instance, uh, a well-known exhortation is, um, "Love your enemies." Uh, that, that's viewing uh, other human beings that opposes. Uh, strongly opposes to the point that they're considered enemies, uh, and Jesus says, "As you look at them, love them; as you interact with them, love them." That that's a whole different perspective on humanity, and it's uh, that's something that is achieved through prayer. But that's praying for that greater vision that we see humanity as God sees humanity, because it's very easy to get absorbed into our own assessment. Of humanity around us and uh, some of those assessments quite frankly are obvious I mean it's it is just to state the obvious but we can get locked in there and limit ourselves to that and so we need to pray for greater visions the vision of seeing humanity as God sees humanity and move beyond our own limited vision of, of those around us of humanity as exists in the world today so praying for greater vision and then Also from this passage in Matthew chapter 9 is be uh, praying for increased laborers. Uh, That's what our Lord told his disciples to do. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into the harvest. Uh, You move into chapter 10 and they were among the laborers that he sent into the harvest. But before he even sent them into the harvest, he says, invest time. Invest time time and effort, interceding and calling out to God that he'll be sending forth laborers into the harvest. Not only them, but others. So this is a very important area of prayer, continued prayer, that that God will continue to raise up laborers to be going into the harvest of humanity, declaring the gospel. We need to be praying about that. And we can be praying about that even as we become harvesters, so to speak, or laborers. We don't stop praying about that or making that a focus of prayer uh, as we are engaged in the harvest, as we are laboring. But I find it fascinating that before our Lord actually sent the disciples into the harvest as laborers, He told them to pray about it. We often skip over prayer. We often minimize prayer as though that's perhaps just a, it's a necessary step, but you know, it's not all that important step because the important step is you know, the stuff that follows afterwards. And our Lord is saying, stop right there. Before any of you go into the harvest, you need to be praying that the Lord will send forth laborers into the harvest. All the time that they were praying, that need existed. And undoubtedly, there were those who were in the harvest that died. And there would be those who are saying, how can this be? How can you let that happen? And they're not recognizing the importance of the other factors of effectively going into the harvest, which is prayer, which prepares us to be effective laborers in the harvest. So we need to pray for greater compassion. We need to pray for greater vision. We need to pray for increased laborers. Let's uh, turn next to the book of Colossians. And this is all building off the passages that we have uh, gone through as we've moved through the New Testament as it deals with witnesses and witnessing. And so we're simply pulling together uh, the truths that we've looked at in specific statements here. But Colossians chapter four verses two and three. Someone read those verses, please. <coughs> Colossians four, two and three. Continue in prayer and watch and say, while praying also for us that God would open to us a door of our distinct spirit of Christ for which I am now embodied. Okay, so there's there's the fourth area of prayer. It's not limited to these four areas, but these are four clear areas. Be praying for abundant opportunities. That's what Paul said to do for, uh, for him and his ministry team. Be praying that God would open up doors for us. That is a metaphor, meaning opportunities to proclaim Christ. And so we need to pray for those doors. We need to pray for those opportunities. And then obviously be ready to step into those opportunities once God opens those doors of opportunity to bear witness of Christ. So be praying for abundant opportunities. We could also cite other passages where Paul said, pray for me that I will have boldness uh, to proclaim Christ as I ought to. So we could add that as a fifth one up there, be praying for boldness, uh, because we all need it. Because why? As we talked about it, as we move through those portions of scriptures, talking about that, this is a spiritual um, endeavor. This is a spiritual battle. There's resistance there that uh, is, is not obvious to the physical eye. It's a spiritual Uh, warfare that's taking place when we're taking the gospel and communicating it and we need boldness, daily boldness for Christ. And so one of the five keys for effective witness is prayer. That's where it starts, that's where it must continue. So it starts with prayer, continues with prayer. And prayer is talking to God. So it's vital that we continue that communication that we maintain that communication with the one who has uh, given us the authority to to go and proclaim Christ to humanity, to all the nations. Be focusing is the second key. And three particular areas of focus. Focus on our authority. Uh, we're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture just to remind ourselves. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> and then uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And I'll read those portions of Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Our Lord, prior to his ascension into heaven, said, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, three areas of focus. Uh, We need to continue to focus on our authority. The authority that we have for taking the gospel to, to anyone, to any place, to any nation, is the authority of our Lord. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. There are no other authorities outside of that. And he says, all authority, the totality of authority, has been given to me. Therefore, what I command you to do supersedes all other authorities, and all other authorities are under his authority. So there's no place that we are restricted from by our Lord's directive, by his command. Now, there are those authorities under him because God has established all governing authorities. He's told us that in his word. All governing authorities are established by God. And indeed, there are those governing authorities, human governing authorities, who seek to prohibit um, the witness of Christ. Either directly, you shall not proclaim Christ here, the gospel here, Christianity here, or by setting up a number of barriers that make it almost impossible to proclaim Christ. So these sub-authorities under the authority in history and currently, there are those authorities that, that uh, go directly against the authority of Jesus Christ. So our Lord is saying to His disciples, there's no authority that trumps my authority. There's no authority in place that is equal to my authority. And therefore you have the um, commission you have under my authority the right to go everywhere and proclaim Christ now the disciples confronted uh, resistance to this immediately after his ascension they were proclaiming Christ in the temple and the governing authorities of the temple and they were authorities. They didn't usurp that authority. It was authority given to them. They had responsibility for the temple. The Roman governing authorities granted them uh, to operate uh, with that authority in whatever way they chose. In other words, they said, whatever you choose to do in your temple, it's your temple. And we're not going to step in. And so they, they had carte blanche from the Roman governing authority to, to operate according to however they chose to in regard to their temple. So as they stood before the disciples and said, you shall not preach in the name of Jesus, you shall not preach that name, that person in this temple. We order you to stop and desist from proclaiming Christ. And if you don't, you will suffer the consequences from our hands. And they did this not only once, but several times. And they meant it to the point of death in certain circumstances. Stephen was one example of, of a believer who continued to pro- proclaim Christ and under the threat of death, and he was stoned. And so... They had the authority to incite intense opposition. They had the authority to issue proclamations and expect people in the temple to uh, operate according to those uh, orders. And so they felt totally comfortable and expected that the disciples would not preach Christ anymore. Why? Because they said so, and they were the authority in the temple. They were a sub-authority, but in their uh, point of view, they were the authority. There was no one that eclipsed their authority. Now, our Lord didn't show up to them and say, listen, let's have a little confab here. I want you to know that I am the authority, and I've given these guys a responsibility Not just a right, but a responsibility to proclaim my name here. So you guys come in line with what I say. That didn't happen. And they wouldn't have done it anyway. And what am I driving at by by bringing out these observations? It's simply this, that having the authority to proclaim Christ does not mean that there will not be opposition to that activity by sub-authorities. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, given to us to proclaim Christ to all nations. Therefore, go. And it's literally, as you are going, make disciples. That's what we do when we proclaim the gospel. We make disciples. As they believe in Christ. Now, an example of, you know, there's, there's different ways of approaching this. Uh, the disciples went into the temple. That's, that's a first century immediate application of this scenario. And they proclaimed Christ and they had resistance. And uh, some of them were arrested. Um, and others, uh, they sought to ban from the temple. And they continued to go to the temple, show up at the temple and proclaim Christ because all authority had been given to them. We fast forward to the 21st century, uh, and you, you have nations that say, you cannot come into this country as a missionary. If you uh, apply for a visa to come into this country, and you put missionary on the visa, it's a no-go. You don't show up here because we don't want people uh, proclaiming other religious ideologies in our country We we want to control what that is. And there are are a number of countries in our world today where uh, believers cannot go in publicly identified via a visa as a missionary. So does that mean, oh well, I guess we can't go there. One of the... uh, uh, approaches that a uh, colleague of mine that, that serves on the board of the IFCA uses. He's involved with ministry in a number of Muslim countries with Muslim populations. They started in the country of Albania, uh, which has a large Muslim population. It's, it's located to where it has a big tug-of-war, has for centuries and still does, between uh, Muslim and uh, Christian in the broad general sense of the term, tug-of-war. Historically, that's, that's been an area and a population that has gone back and forth, uh, that Muslim uh, leaders have sought to control, and then Christian leaders have sought to control. So you, the result is you have both populations there. And then for a period of time under the communist era, it was totally under uh, communist control, and for a few decades it was known as an atheist nation. I mean, they were very atheistic. And then communism fell, and you had the return of, of uh, Christians into Albania to do ministry. Um, and so they, they set up shop with this particular ministry. And, and they set up a, a uh, institute, a training a center to train people to, for work, to do very, with various skills to do the work. But the people doing the training were believers, and so they would uh, engage them and train them in these skills, but then be witnessing to them along the line. They've added to those ministries over the year, years uh, since the fall of communism. And uh, recently, uh, one of the leaders in, in Albania said, you know, uh, we welcome the presence, we need the presence of a Christian evangelical university here. And so they've been given the encouragement and the go-ahead to actually begin to establish a Christian evangelical university. He said, we have a Muslim university. We have a Catholic or Orthodox, I should say, university. We, we welcome a, a Christian, a um, Protestant university. But one of the things they do, not only in Albania, but in a number of other countries where they have ministry connections in Muslim populations, is they have... People go in, and, and they go in, and they actually work in the country with a legitimate job. Meaning they don't have a kind of a fake job, but the main thing they do is the typical traditional missionary activity. They go in, and they hold a job in some professional arena, but their intention is to be proclaiming Christ on the job and in the connections that they have. Well, what are they doing? They, they, they're saying all authority has been given to us in heaven and earth, and therefore we go into these nations that say, "You you can't come in as a missionary." But you know, even though they don't have the title as a missionary, what are they? They're a witness, and they go proclaim Christ. So whether you have the title missionary or not, it's really immaterial. It's a title, but the point is. All authority has been given and there's no nation, no people group, no part of humanity that we do not have the authority uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ to go to, regardless of what sub-authorities say. Now, we may have to rethink how we go in, and I say we in in the uh, Christian sense, but we go and while we're there there are those who are proclaiming Christ. Why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us to go to all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities, and proclaim Christ. So that's our authority. We need to continue to focus on our authority and follow our authority. Our authority does not come from us. It does not come primarily from a particular church, or sending agency, our authority comes from Christ. And that's why we go. Not only in that sense, but where we live life. So all authority has been given. Continue to focus on our authority. Not on the sub-authorities that would want to restrict or put up roadblocks or hurdles, but focus on our authority, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, serve Him be focusing on our responsibility. Our responsibility under, with our authority is uh, to do three things. Make disciples. And that's proclaim Christ and see people put their faith and trust in Christ. That's making a disciple. And discipleship is, is seeing that person come to Christ and then uh, moving them along that path of growing in Christ but make disciples. So be making disciples. Imperative, continuous, present imperative. It's continuous responsibility. Be making disciples, continue to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. disciples. That's, That's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. We make disciples. And then once they become a disciple, this is important, baptize them. Baptism is about a very important confession. And we'll continue to talk about this in in the weeks ahead. Not in this class, but otherwise. But it's a very important confession. It's very instructive for us to see it in the context of this uh, responsibility. First make disciples, then baptize those disciples. And those disciples are confessing uh, very particular truth. One, they're, they're uh, confessing when they're being baptized. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is that all about? Well, that's a confession that there is but one God. Now, Judaism believes there's one God. Islam believes there's one God. Christianity believes there is one God. But... There are other religions that believe that there's either a multiplicity of gods or that there's that, that, that the idea of God is not a, a person or a being but a a the universe in particular and it's it's getting yourself back in tune with or back connected to the universe or the universal powers on some level and so they have their spiritual disciplines to help people get connected with with the life forces, and that is bound up in several of your Eastern Oriental religious concepts. And so that's still prevalent in the world today. But in the first century, once you got beyond Judaism, because Islam did not come on the scene until 600 A.D. Christ, the church started in 32 A.D., so you see there's 550 plus years after the church began that Islam in a very small way began to pop up on the scene of history in the Arabian Peninsula. So at the time that this commission was given, that this authority was given, there was Judaism that believed that there was but one God. All the pagan Civilizations that we know of. They believed in a multiplicity of gods. Now, let's bring this back to this confession. This confession for a Jewish person coming to Christ was confessing, yes, I continue to assert that there is but one God, but this God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why it was significant that Jesus said, be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because by identifying uh, themselves with the one God who exists as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, they were making a very uh, radical statement in the eyes of others, especially other Jews. And so this was an affirmation of their belief in the one true God. And so for a Jewish person to make this confession in baptism uh, was a statement that they really did believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that He is God Himself. And that's what Jesus taught. That's why they tried to kill Him, because he, he said He was the Son of God. And that meant in the hearing of the Jews that He was saying that He was God, that He bore the very nature of God. They understood that. That was not... Difficult for them to connect those dots. And of course, uh, the belief in the Spirit of God is God. And so this is a powerful confession, a life transforming confession, an understanding that they came to in coming to Christ, that God exists. There is but one God, but he exists equally in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then you transition to the pagans who believed in a multiplicity of gods. And this was reducing that belief down that, no, there's not a multiplicity of gods. Like we believed all of our lives. There's, there's not this pantheon of deities, whether it was originating in, in Greek mythology or expressed in Roman mythology or similar mythologies of other civilizations. That there were a pantheon of gods. And that uh, your city, or that your region, or perhaps even your country, had a primary deity that was more powerful in that city, in that region, in that country, than the other deities. But the other deities still existed. But you worship that primary deity. And so for someone... caught up in in that system of belief to come to faith in christ they were stating that we now believe that there isn't a multiplicity of gods but there is but one god and that he exists as god the father god the son and god the holy spirit three persons the same essence the same nature the same deity And so it was an incredible statement. And so when a person came to faith in Christ, they were making an astounding confession of where they had arrived at in their thinking and in their belief. So baptism was about that open public confession of this astounding truth. He didn't say baptize them in the name of Jesus and stop there. because Jesus is the Savior, He is the Savior, but baptize Him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a confession of of the belief in the one true God besides whom there is no other God, and this is who He is. So it was an amazing confession. Um, And so our responsibility is make disciples, baptize disciples, And then the third leg of that, as you read in these verses, is to be teaching them. Again, it's a present imperative, so it's a continuous responsibility. Be teaching those disciples who have made this open public confession concerning the one true God, having embraced Christ as Savior and belief in the one true God as uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and continue to teach them all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. So all that the Scriptures lay out continue to teach them, instruct them. And that that is at the heart of why local churches exist. It is to be teaching those who have come to Christ the truths of Scripture so that we can continue to grow. We are to always be in that construct. Now the teaching isn't limited to the local church. In other words, you don't have to always and only show up at a local church in a local assembly to be taught. That teaching can happen beyond, for instance, this setting, and should, and must. But it does mean that when we do come together, this is at the heart of who we are and what we do. Teaching all things whatsoever what Christ has commanded. And to diminish that, or make it secondary, is to do great disservice to this responsibility. Stay focused on the responsibility, which is threefold. First of all, make disciples. And then be baptizing those disciples and then be teaching those disciples. And it's a continuous responsibility. So as once we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, We are to be bearing witness of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet trusted Him. And then once they trust Him, have them see them baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then continue to teach them and they in turn begin to engage in the process. That's our responsibility. That's the heart of what the Lord brought the church into existence for. Local assemblies to carry out this responsibility so be focusing on our authority and our responsibility and then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and we'll close with this this morning I'll get there in just a second there we go proof that I don't have it marked out ahead of time in my Bible Not that that makes any difference. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Our objective. He says, you wait here in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes upon you and empowers you. And being empowered by the Spirit of God, the objective is to be my witnesses. And so the church, the local church, is a series of people gathered together and our objective is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to all the nations. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the nations. And by way of application, I mean, they started in Jerusalem because that's where they were at. And that's where our Lord said to start. That doesn't mean that we have to go back to Jerusalem each and every time someone becomes a believer, go back to Jerusalem, start proclaiming Christ there, then move out to Jerusalem. Uh, Judea, then move out to Samaria, and then move out to the nation. It means start where you're at, and then keep moving out. That's our objective, to be witnesses. I believe if we follow the biblical terminology, that that keeps us more focused in our thinking, that our responsibility is to be a witness and to be engaged in witnessing. I'm not saying jettison the term evangelism, but I'm saying by beginning to intentionally appropriate the term witness and witnessing, that more specifically focuses us on our objective. And uh, that's what our Lord said that they would be. You shall be my witnesses. He didn't say, "You shall be my evangelist," and that, that you know could be a distinction uh, without any significance, but it's what he said: "You shall be my witnesses. And as my witnesses, under authority that I grant you, go to all nations, starting where you're at." Any comments or observations? We didn't get through all of it we got three more that we want to look at next week lord willing all right let's pray father we thank you today for the blessing and privilege again of being together help us to contemplate these truths that we have been exposed to this morning uh exposed to once again Uh, and father to contemplate them more fully in our minds and in our hearts and and lord to seek to grow as your laborers as your servants, as your witnesses, and help us to to, uh, do that where you have us living life now. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.